In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, hello, Ryan Roxy here, and welcome to another live episode of uh, In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I am your host, and um, yeah, man, I always get excited on these live stream days where I get to uh, dive in the trenches with you because uh, I always learn something. I always get inspired uh, by our guests. And today I feel I'm bringing a little bit of an international flair to the show. I really do. Um, I'm going to let everybody file in because, uh, of course, uh, if you are listening to it in your car, I want you to pull over. Um, If you're listening to it on Apple, if you're listening to it on Spotify or any of those uh, formats, I want you to get into the chat, get into the trenches here at uh, Facebook Live. That's Ryan Roxy Official. So if it's your first time here, Maybe hit that subscribe button right there. And um, yeah, of course, we got Facebook Live going. We have um, YouTube Live going. And as you know, in the trenches, I'm, I'm always trying to dive in and find out, get into the heads of our artists and see uh, what is their creative motive, what is uh, what drives them, uh, what makes them uh do what they do for a living, right? You know, it's not just the uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll folks. It's actually a passion, a uh, dream that they've had uh, since a very young age. And our guest today has been rocking and rolling since a very, very young age. Um, he's part of a huge band. Uh, they're labeled as a rock, sometimes labeled as pop, sometimes they're even labeled as progressive rock to even reggae. Uh, the band of, I'm talking about actually is uh, one of uh, Mexico's biggest rock bands. Uh, rock and Espanol, you might have heard that term before. Um, they basically are the faces of that. Uh, the band is Mana, but the man that is in the trenches today is Mr. Alex Gonzalez. So welcome, Alex. Come on. Hey, hey what's hey. up, my friend? Good to ah, see you. Nice to see you too, my friend. Man. Good morning from Guadalajara, Mexico. There it is, <laughs> man. Uh, Vic, can you put that music on, that welcome music that we put in for Alex? Like, it's like a little Marachi band I think we had, right? Got that? No? Okay. Um, well, we'll start anyway. I mean, you know, we're, we're batting a thousand right out of the gate, man. There went the Maharachi band. <laughs> Is, is, is Maharachi music even, is that the Guadalajara music or am I completely wrong country? Well, that's, the mariachi started in the state of Jalisco um, and it's it's beautiful music. It's, you know, it's very, either very happy or it could be very uh, melancholy, sad. Um, you know, it's always at parties. Uh, you know, it's it's such important music in, in what's traditional Mexican music, mariachi. Damn. You started at a young age. You started young. You started at, and and you're all over the place. You know, like you started. You, we were just talking before the show where you um, were born. You're born in the states. You're born in uh, Florida, right? Miami, correct? Miami, yeah. Miami. and you, you're kind of like we kind of joked a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. And by the way, just out of the gate, I, I didn't say your instrument because I didn't think I'd have to. But I it, just to make sure in the chat, everybody knows we are talking to drummer. Alex Gonzalez <laughs> of the band uh, Mana and as well his, his other super group that he has together, which we've actually had uh, Andres on the podcast before, is uh, the band El De La Tierra. De La, De La Tierra, Tierra yeah. yeah. But we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. But first, I like to uh, uh, go back to get forward. So I want to f- find out your story a little bit uh, from the beginning. And uh, you said you came from part Colombian and part 
Mexican, Cuban, 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 yeah. Colombian. And like I said, you are the, we are the world of, of South America. You could be the Gandhi, bring all those countries together as one, but you got, you were born and raised in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Yeah. The thing is, well, the, just to like really shorten up, uh, do a little small recap. Uh, I was born in Miami. Um, um, my mom is uh, Cuban. My dad's Colombian. Um, but obviously they're American citizens. They also came to the United States when they were very little. Um, and I lived in Miami. Well, I still do. Uh, I have a residence there also in Miami, but my main residence is here in Mexico, in Guadalajara. But um, when my parents got divorced, um, that's the reason why I ended up um, in, in Mexico. Um, my mom got remarried um, and I came with her to Mexico City first. Uh, and as I was mentioning, um, when I arrived to Mexico City, a customs um, withheld my drum set. I had a small Tama swing star set, five piece drums, uh, <laughs> drum piece set, and the customs detained my, my gear. So that gear was sent back to my grandparents' house in, in Miami. So I was left without a drum, without a drum set uh, in a new country. I didn't know anybody starting a new school, starting a new life. So my mom uh, was actually looking for another drum set for me. And she saw an ad in the newspaper uh, that said that there was a band looking for a drummer between the ages of 15 and 21 years old with more than nine years of experience. So um, I called and I started talking on the phone and- um, There's just one catch though, there's just one catch. I don't have a drum kit. (laughs) I can can hear the audition right already. No, but here's the cool thing. Um, I did have my sticks and I did have my vinyls and my stereo. So I would practice, um, you know, listening to all my, my drum idols and, and the bands that I liked in those days, I would practice on my bed and with the, the pillows. So I was always practicing, even though I didn't have a kid. And then when, when I was in, in junior high, some friends of mine, they lend me a kid. But when I met Fernando and he told me it was Sombrero Verde, I was like, wow, man, you guys are, I know they were famous already in Mexico. Right. Um, so I was like blown away. So I said, wow, you know, this is the beginning probably of something, you know, what I've always dreamed about. But it you know, wasn't your dream, yeah, but it wasn't really your dream to find Guadalajara as your music mecca. You always thought maybe it could be the UK or it could be New York, right? It was, or what was Los Angeles, Los Angeles. There was all these other music towns, but you end up going to Guadalajara and right. judging from the back of all those trophies in back of you, I think you you said you were in your office, but I'll just call it a trophy room. All those Grammys <laughs> and all those MTV awards. Um, I'm really sorry. Things haven't really worked out that well. For <laughs> well, you know what? This is for me. And I'm glad you brought this up because, um, you know, the same thing happened with the band when we started, you know, there, there was this thing where people thought that you had to live in Mexico City, you know, to be able to break your career in Mexico. And we said, no, we're going to stay in Guadalajara, which is the second biggest city in, in, in Mexico. So it goes to show you that it really doesn't matter where you're from or where you're living. What's important is about doing good music, being as, as best as you can as a musician, being true to yourself, to yourself, you know, s- s- sticking to your gut feeling what you want to do as a musician and and not worry about the other bullshit. Sometimes it's that other, that second city that actually does have the, I don't want to say the better bands, but perhaps the, the more true bands, because I'll say for California, you got Los Angeles, but then you got the Bay area, you got San Francisco and think of all the, the lasting huge 
bands that have come out of the Bay Area over the years, you know? Yeah, the same thing in England, you know? People would think London, but look, look Birmingham. what happened, you know, with yeah, Manchester. Look what happened. Exactly, Liverpool with the Beatles. I mean, oh, I mean it's... <laughs> oh, that, that band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I think the important thing here is, is look now, like, for example, Nashville in the United States, you know, they used to be just maybe like country, and now there's everything there. There's pop, there's rock, there's amazing songwriters, musicians. New York, there's still an amazing scene going on. I mean, I think a lot of bands that have come out from, from other cities, you know, look at Slipknot, you know, they came up from out of Iowa, you know, so wow. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I, I think at the end of the day, it's about being passionate about what you want to do as a musician. Obviously, you know, like we were talking about, you know, in LA, you got all the, the, the record companies, you got all the studios, the lawyers, the managers. So there is some things that you need from certain cities, but at the end of the day, it's about your talent and about, you know, what you want to do and play as a musician. Now, when you first joined that band at 15 in Guadalajara, were you immediately dumped into a higher level of gigs or did you bash it out in the clubs or were you immediately playing major gigs? Well, Sombrero Verde was already playing major gigs and they were, you know, um, appearing on TV programs and um, they had already two major record deals in, in, in Mexico. But the thing is that when, when their first drummer left, they had to start again from scratch. But at the same time, for me, it was the beginning of a new experience because they were already an established band. They had management, they had, you know, gear. So for me, it was like I was entering, you know, the, the big leagues. And it was perfect because they had a lot more experience than I did. So I was learning a lot from them and, um, and just traveling the country in a little van playing, you know, like you mentioned, the clubs. Um, and then little by little, you know, we started getting more recognition. We got the opportunity to open up for Quiet Riot. Uh, that was the 25th of October of 1984. I was 15 years old and, you know, playing in front of 50,000 people. You know, that was amazing. <laughs> I so, love the know, fact I, that you really get excited about that still because you've played so many of your share of sold out coliseums and stadiums. And I mean, I don't even want, we're going to get into the uh, records that your band has broken over the years as far as attendance goes. But I yeah. love the fact that you still have this passion when you talk about those gigs in the beginning and it sounds a little bit to me like you had the best of both worlds with that band you know a little bit like uh when dave Grohl started foo fighters of course he had mm -hmm. that a little bit of that cred and well, not a little bit but he had huge cred from nirvana but then he was starting his own thing from the beginning as well so he was able to take yeah, off for, from there like i mentioned you know the beginning for for me and, and even for mana was that that first band sombrero verde gave us so many mileage as far as touring the country in a van, you know, the whole band sleeping maybe in, a, in one room in a motel or sometimes even in the van. I mean, but I would never change that experience because I got to see the country, you know, I got to meet so many people. Remember, this is rock in Espanol. People didn't really believe in that movement because people were still singing rock in English, which is fine. But, you know, Fernando, our lead singer said, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're Mexicans, you know, there's also, you know, millions of Latinos in, in the United States and, you know, besides Central and South America, Spain, we should be writing and singing about stuff that happens to us, but in our language. So it made sense. Right. So that's why we continue. So what happens is Sombrero Verde lasted until 1986. Right. Then Fernando, one of our guitar players left. So we were just a four piece now. 
So Fernando said, you know what? I want to try doing something else. I want to start a new band, but I want to do more fusion of different types of music, you know, more reggae, more calypso, more Latin music, you know, even, you know, stuff from salsa, uh, merengue, bolero, um, you know. Bring just everything bring in- from your culture. Yeah, and not, not only from our culture, but also from Spain, from South America, Central America, the Caribbean. Anything I mean, Latin. There's, it's so, it's, Latin right. America is so rich in, in music, you know? Well, that's why you're the perfect representative, you know? You are like, that. you have all these nationalities already inside you, plus you're playing even more, and your drum influences, when, I, when we talk about those a little bit later, they're are a huge spectrum as well. So, Correct. I mean, so, so this band... How, how did Mana come out? And then I know that the pretty much the first big break, they had albums that you guys had albums out before, but 1992 hits with uh, Donde... Jugar a los Yes, and that was... Yeah, Where Will the Children Play, yeah. That was a huge one for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's pretty interesting because when we, when we released our first record, um, nothing happened. You know, we had a couple of hits. Uh, we were on another label, but then when we signed with um, Warner Brothers. Um, the first record that we did with Warner Brothers, Falta Amor, which came out at the end of 1989, beginning of 1990, um, you know, we put that record out and it was very slow to catch on. We were still playing clubs. Um, you know, I was still even contemplating leaving the band because we were struggling so much. I was, you know, I didn't have money. I didn't have food. I was living in friends' houses. You know, it was it was really, really a struggle, but we still had a dream and, and we still, you know, it was the passion about playing music. So there was one song on that on that album called Rayando el Sol. And that song started to really catch on radio and it wasn't even released as a first single. But people started calling the radio station and say, hey, can you play Rayando el Sol? And can you play Rayando el Sol? And then that song just like really took off on its own. And then we started seeing the telephone ringing, you know, our, our guitar player was the manager at the same time. So he was booking and he started to see how, you know, that's how it was in the old days. You know, you look at the album cover and at the back, the telephone number that's on that album is actually, that was his house where he was living. So you didn't so, even have a start- beeper back then. No, not even a beeper. just put your home phone number on there. Correct. So we started noticing that we started getting more calls and more calls. So that's when we said, Hey, you know what? This is good. The rocket is starting to take off. So we took advantage of having that song playing that whole album and touring and touring. And then the show started getting bigger and bigger. So this is the funny thing. When, while we were playing clubs, let's say for a thousand people, you know, 500, a thousand, a thousand, 500, we get a phone call from Quito, Ecuador to go play at this place that we didn't know, you know, how big it was. When we get there, El Coliseo Rumiñawi, this place holds 20,000 people. <laughs> and when we got there, and it's exactly when this record was taking off also. Right. It was sold out. And we said, holy shit, we can't believe this is sold out. 20,000 people. There was no MTV. There was no, um, you know, internet. Everything was by word of mouth. The guy, the, the, the promoter, he brought the record and he started playing it on his own radio station. Long story short, what we earned from that, from that show, we hired a filming crew to film the concert 
So that way, when we went back to Mexico, we could show the record company, look, guys, you better get off your butts and you better start promoting this band. Look we, what we're doing. We without- deserve bigger than just clubs right now. We can play places. We can play 20 clubs at a time. I love it. So that that was really a, a kick in the ass for the record company, and they really started to promote. So going back to Donde Juraran Los Niños, that was the record that really just launched us internationally. That That record was huge. Huge, yeah. huge, huge. That's great. And we toured for two two years behind that record. Really? Okay. Until 1994, yeah. From 92 to 94. Now, because we talked a little bit before about... Um, and, and hello, folks. Welcome to the chat. Welcome to everybody. And uh, we are hanging out with uh, Alex Gonzalez of the band Mana. And of course, we're going to talk about him and, of course, his other band as well that he has uh, the super group from uh, South America, De La Tierra. But um, we're catching up a little bit on the history of Mana right now. And I'm just wondering because you said before, and it, God, I was a little bit shocked. You said before the show that you've, the band has never played England and you've always wanted to play England because obviously a Beatle fan, obviously, you know, part of a bunch of different British bands you like. You've never, and I, and I said, I'm, you know, sort of recording this from Sweden and you're in Guadalajara and our producer Vic, he's in Arkansas. So somehow that all makes sense, but you've never played over here. And yet you're, you've completely dominated in Mexico and South America and Los Angeles, you know? So how, why do you think it's, it's that way? I mean, has Spain ever sort of Spain, Portugal expressed a lot of interest in you guys coming over there as well? Spain is huge for Manon. Okay. Okay. So I mean, you have played, we, you we played. Sell out, we, okay. Yeah. All right, so I was thinking you didn't play Europe and I was going to go, what the hell? But no, Spain. Spain is like our our base in Europe. Um, And uh, actually there's a a town called Guadalajara in Spain. So people that would listen to Mana from Germany or from France or Switzerland or other parts of of Europe thought in the beginning that that Mana was a band from Spain, from Guadalajara. Spain (laughs) is like, no, no, no. We're from Guadalajara, Mexico. So, but Spain is huge for us. And that's been our base in Europe, you know, um, and the band has, you know, we were discussing about touring this year um, in, in more in Europe and playing Holland and playing, um, you know, um, uh, England for the first time and in other, other, probably other cities in Europe. But unfortunately, you know, COVID came. What? Well, I was going to say, say what, what, why didn't you? Why didn't you just come out and tour? <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, but that's already on our list. So hopefully if um if things um you know, probably a lot of people are watching us from Europe right now and 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 other parts of Latin America and the states and stuff, you know. First of all, guys, stay safe. Please take care. Um and uh eventually we hope that things will get a lot better so um the can come over there people. and play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely tour next year if it's possible. It strikes me so much is your kindness. You know, it's even before the show we were just sitting around and I remember us me and you we met years ago I think we met at uh again I bring Mace. back we I bring back makes rehearsal all the time on the podcast folks yeah. if you if you ever want to go down a googling uh sort of rabbit hole you can just google mates rehearsal studios that's somewhere in I think it's studio city or somewhere in in uh north hollywood and north hollywood correct yeah and it's where all pretty much every band sort of cut their teeth 
practices for rehearsals where I did my Alice Cooper audition. I'm sure Manad did a lot of uh, rehearsing over there over the years. But we met at a uh, at a birthday party for the was it the owner? Was it Bobby or who was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was the the owner, and uh, there was a huge jam. I was there with my my dear great friend Mike Fasano. Um, we went there. We were hanging out, having drinks. That's where he introduced me to you. I've heard obviously, I've heard that name, Mike Fasano. Rings a bell. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, no, and obviously, you know, you guys played together uh, for many right. years. Uh, you know, the friendship and stuff, and that's where I met you. Obviously, I was freaking out. You know, it's like holy shit, this guy's a guitar player with Alice Cooper. You know, when when I started as a musician, you know. Um, um, one of the bands that I was very heavily influenced was Kiss. But obviously, as I started learning more about music, you know, obviously I found out about Alice Cooper and I found out about how the whole like shock rock thing started. And, you know, Alice is just amazing in his history. And, you know, he, come on, he was friends with Salvador Dali, you know, I mean, course, that's just amazing, you know, I mean. So now, um, now wait a second. Right now, if someone wants to take a screenshot, has anyone ever gave? Because you are a drummer, and just I just caught it for a limp, for a quick moment, and I know the Alice Cooper story of the house guest that wouldn't leave. But has anyone ever said that you resemble Keith Moon a little bit? Could it be yeah, the eyebrow? I've, I've gotten that. <laughs> well, Keith Keith is another one of my 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 big influences. Um, he was the first drummer that I saw that stood out more than the lead singer. So I said. There you go. So, um, you know, just everything about him. And I mean, once we start talking about my influences, but Keith, he's he's right there in, in, in one of my top drummers. And um, and I love it. You know, um, when I get that type of compliments or stuff, I mean, come on, you know, that's <laughs> Keith, Keith Moon. Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. I just I because I, when you were talking about Alice Cooper, I, I keep on remembering a story. You know, we have a segment of the show called Never Let the Truth Get in the Way of a Good Story. But I honestly think this is a truthful story that he tells. He talks about Keith Moon coming over to his house in the 70s, you know, just coming over for a weekend. And then basically a month later, Keith was still living in the pool room. <laughs> So. Come on, man. Keith was a character, you know. <laughs> and I got a really cool story that you probably don't know. When we toured with Carlos Santana, we did this really awesome tour. Uh, when Carlos Santana released Supernatural, which we played on that record, we did a song with him called Corazón Espinal, which was huge. So we went on this uh, a co-headlining tour in the United States with another awesome band also called Alzo Motley, that they're good friends also from Los Angeles. Long story short, we're in Phoenix, Arizona, and Alice Cooper went to go see us. I didn't meet him, but obviously, you know, I guess him being a fan of of uh, Santana, you know, yeah. and I knew he was there at the show, that he enjoyed it very much. But I freaked out later because, like, holy shit, you know, Alice Cooper was in the audience, <laughs> you know, well, taking us out. That was pretty cool. That is good. That is good to get Alice. I mean, you know. You didn't find him in a mall. You didn't find him on the golf course. He actually went <laughs> yes. to see your show. That That's something quite big. That's pretty cool. <laughs> So let's start to get a little bit into your influences because I know that uh, we have a segment called Let the People Speak. And one of the questions uh, came on from our very own producer. So I felt maybe it might be kind of uh, cool to just kick that little segment on by bringing our producer, Vic Shalfont, onto the screen. Why not? On, he, he, didn't put his, he didn't put his makeup on, folks, but I want to bring him on the screen so he can ask the question that he had asked for you. So, uh, Vic, would you like to come on the screen for us? Huh? 
I guess if I have to, hey, I'll show off my new oh. producer's mug. What are you drinking there? That looks very oh. tasty. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a shameless plug to, to uh, hawk our mugs. Uh, Vic had that made, and then we had to put one up on the store because there was a demand for it. But uh, thanks They're for everybody. Cool, man. I got to get one of those mugs. All right. We'll check it out. So Vic Chalfont, uh, you are our producer, obviously, and you you actually type out your own question, I which is good. I added it up here. Why don't you ask? Why don't you ask, I was just Alex? Um, who you think is the greatest drummer of all time? I know a lot of people, uh, you know, say Bonzo Bonham. You're saying Keith Moon, uh, Neil Peart, somebody like that. Who, who are you thinking is the greatest of all time? I mean, in the history of music, because this is where we got to start, like, because it depends on what genre of music you're asking. Like, for example, you talk about jazz. You know, I love Buddy Rich, for example. I think he's one of the greatest drummers of all time. You know, Gene Krupa was there. Um, Louis Belson. I mean, there's so many uh, uh, amazing drummers, you know, talking about jazz and, you know, uh, at least the ones that I grew up when I was a little kid. Um, but there's just been so many amazing drummers um, in the history of rock. And, 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 you know, and now with technology, with the Internet and YouTube and all this, you know, there's a whole new generation of amazing drummers that have access to all this old footage. You know, can you, you know, I'd say if I would have had the opportunity to see vintage videos of, you know, Stuart Copeland, who's like one of my influences, or Neil Peart from Rush is another of my influences, you know, Ringo Starr, um, John Bonham, Keith Moon, uh, Phil Collins. I mean, there's so many drummers. Terry Bozio, come on, are you kidding me? I mean, these are the people that, that influenced me to become what I am. But obviously you have to be yourself, but there's just too many to mention. I mean, I, I, you just can't say one. I mean, I think you said, you said earlier that you were playing on your, you practice on the bed and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. Was somebody that you listened to that? that yeah, really well, like I said, when when I started playing drums when I was five, so the 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 drummer and the band that got me into wanting to be a musician was the Beatles, and and for me, Ringo Starr, I would say he's he's for me one of the all time greatest drummers because for me he was like the guy that initiated all this, you know, everybody wanted to be Ringo. Everybody wanted to have it a Ludwig, you know, Black Oyster kit, you know, everybody wanted to have a band like the Beatles, you know, how, come on. I mean, how many musicians, you know, millions and millions of musicians in the world, we started because of the Beatles, you know? Right. So I think for me, uh, well, I don't think he was for me, my main influence started. And then from there, the next drummer that became a huge influence was Peter Chris from Kiss. I mean, Kiss, I was five five years old when I when I got into Kiss. Kiss Alive was one of my first records, and it was mm -hmm. like they were not human. It was just something, and I think that's another band that that inspired millions of musicians. So I had on one hand, you know, the, the pop rock from the Beatles, and then on the other hand, I had all this heaviness and you know okay. just the craziness of Kiss. So, but then as I started learning more about drummers and musicians. I got hooked onto Led Zeppelin, you know, John Bonham. Mm -hmm. That blew me away. Then Keith Moon comes along. I, I find out about the Who and I say, holy cow, this guy's crazy, you know. He's he's more, you know, he's he's more flamboyant and and, and he's, you know, at the attention that he's attracting, he's getting it more as a drummer than the lead singer or, or, or the guitar player. So plus all the stuff that he was doing, throwing the sticks in the air and just all the wildness, you know, I love that. And yeah, then I've seen footage of you getting kind of crazy on stage. Oh yeah, well that's, I mean, I love to always give a good performance. I mean, you gotta give 100% every night. People pay for a ticket, 
You know, they've been waiting to see you. There's no excuses. You got to give 100% always. Then what happens after, you know, uh, Zeppelin, The Who, Kiss, The Beatles, all of a sudden there's this new wave thing going on. And I hear on the radio a band called The Police. And this is 1981. And I hear this song called Don't Stand So Close To Me. And I remember I was in my grandparents' house in Miami. And I said, what is this? You know, the whole kick and, and, and the whole reggae vibe, you know, it was just like, this is totally different. So I became a huge fan of the police. Stuart Copeland is another huge influence. Um, and at the same time, Rush comes along. And I hear Tom Sawyer and I'm like, oh my God, this drummer is amazing. Who is this guy? So I find out, you know, Neil Peart, amazing drummer. Uh, I become a huge uh, Rush fan also. Um, and then the whole new wave thing is going on. All of a sudden I hear this band call Missing Persons and I'm like, wait, <laughs> who's this drummer? Terry Bozio, oh my God, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm like in that whole phase. So it was like, and then Phil Collins, you know, Genesis. And then when he was doing his own solo stuff. And I mean, that's why the, the, the question for me is very difficult because I would say in the history of music, depending, I mean, there's amazing fusion drummers, there's amazing metal drummers, there's just, you know, I think the important thing is, <clears throat> especially musicians or drummers, music is not a competition. Music is art, music is about passion, it's about expressing yourself. I really don't like when people start putting musicians against one another and who's better at this and who's better at that. It's all about feeling, it's all about emotion, you know. Obviously, you know, there's there's people that have this unique technique and that they studied and they went to MIT or or, or, or they went to, um, I'm sorry, MI or they went to Berkeley or fantastic, you know, knowledge is power. But there's a lot of musicians like myself that I never studied. I learned everything just listening to records because there was no, you know, uh, videos like we were talking about now that you can Google whoever you want to see. You want to see Eddie Van Halen's technique? Boom. You got it. You want to see... Frank Zappa, you want to see Tony Williams on the drums, boom. Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I mean, you have it all now. So it was it was difficult growing up, but I think at the same time it was it was also a challenge, you know, to try to imitate what you were listening on that LP, on that vinyl, and try to do it as best as you can without having someone telling you if you're doing it right or wrong. <laughs> Well, judging from all those awards in back of it looks like it definitely paid off listening to definitely. all those records, no doubt. I forgot I forgot another drummer to mention that he was a huge influence, and that's why I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. No problem. Um, and that's the reason why I also started to customize my drum sets. Alex Van Halen, huge Van nice. Halen fan. And yeah. and Alex Van Halen was another drummer that that blew me away. You know, I remember when I heard the first Van Halen record. I was just, I couldn't believe it. It was just so much power and the way his sound, his snare, still to this day. I think Alex Van Halen, Alex Van Halen is kind of like a drummer's drummer, you know, in, yes. the, in that sense that the drummers really look up to, to Alex, kind of, sort of like the way, for me, Neil Giraldo is a guitarist, guitarist. Not everybody knows him as a household name. Avatar. but Exactly. Amazing. One of the Amazing best parts guys player. around there. So I, yes. mean, I like those drummers, drummers. But way to ask a question, uh, Vic, that's unanswerable. You just asked the question. Over the show. <laughs> yeah. I, not only did I get the hook for a, a good amount of time, but you, you asked you a question that was not 
unanswerable. It could be, oh, you, yeah, and, then you, and, then, and then you just tried to pull a little bit of, a, of an Adika by, by, by pitting these musicians together, which, of course, you know, Alex doesn't want to do, but you tried to pit them all together, Vic. I don't all understand I do. why you're doing that. I'm always that. trying to stir up trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's good trouble, you know, yeah. and then at the end of the day, I mean, this is something that I think if you would debate it, I mean, obviously, you know, um, just a couple of days ago, it was, you know, unfortunately, John, John Bonham's anniversary, you know, 40 years uh, and, uh, of his passing. Um, um, I had the, the good fortune of meeting his son, Jason, um, a couple of times because I've played with Sammy Hagar in, in, in Cabo Wabo on his birthdays. And, you know, his father, you know, John Bonham, rest his soul, still to this day, you listen to what he was doing and his sound and his and the way he played, it's something that will live forever. And and the same thing is going to happen with Neil Peart and with with other drummers that have unfortunately left us. Keith Moon, you know, you go back and you listen to what these guys were doing, and it's just it's just amazing. I think it's so important to inspire people to do their own. But I think things. they had to record him in in some strange ways too because he played so loud. Yeah, and and. and this is also a fact. It wasn't how hard he hit. It's still how he tuned his drums and, and the way, you know, he had a lot of power in his foot and, and in his wrist. But if you see him play, he would never be, you know, bringing the arms up and his solos he would. But when he was playing with the band, man, he was just like, oh, the backbone, you know, that was, you know, that was so heavy. Now, did you ever did you ever play any of these uh, Bonzo bashes that it's at Nam's show? And have you been a part no. of those before? No, not yet. Okay, no. I, I I met Brian uh, Tichi. He's he, that he's the guy that that put it all together. He's a a wonderful, wonderful guy. Amazing drummer. Actually, we um we just did a couple of um weeks ago a uh, modern drummer twentieth um anniversary tribute um to Neil Peart. And it's if you look it up, it's on LiveX Live. Right. And uh, it's, they're going to be streaming it until December. And all the money that's being um, um, made is going to go to help investigate brain tumor research in name in, in memory of Neil Pure. So there was all these amazing drummers. Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers is a good right. friend. Um, I, I mean, just all these amazing drummers doing a, 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 a tribute to such an amazing drummer that that inspired and still inspires millions of drummers. I'll say it once. I'll say it a thousand times. I wish if all guitar players could act the same way that drummers act, treat each other, we'd be a much better world. We'd be a much better genre. <laughs> there, there'd be way less ego. You guys are all so uh, supportive. And you named some of those other guys. Like, Vic, I, I'm, I'm going to thank you for that question because I want, no, no, because I need you to go get some pictures that I'm going to try to get asked uh -oh. to come up in, in just a second because uh -huh. I want to know with Thanks all so. these drummers Thank in here, you. that was Vic Chalfont, folks. I want, but I also want to talk about all these influences that you just mentioned with Terry, Neil, Stuart Copeland. Uh, were you have you been able to meet some of these idols that you you know? I know that you met Jason and Jason Bonham's cool cat, no doubt about it. But Great drummer. Have mm -hmm. you been able to? You haven't been able to meet Stuart Copeland and, and tell him yes. how much you know you you were yeah, influenced yeah. by him. Yeah, funny story. I was having lunch in a restaurant um, in Studio City, and um, and all of a sudden, Stuart Copeland walks in, and I'm freaking out. And uh, you know, I didn't know how to approach him. And this is in 19, like I think 95 or something like that, or a little bit later. 
but um, I was freaking out because, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that, that I'm always a little bit concerned about meeting musicians is that I've met some really, really down to earth, humble, super cool musicians, drummers. And I've unfortunately had situations where I've met people that have like really disappointed me with, with the way they, they act happen. or they treat you. That'll definitely happen. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I didn't want like that image of, of Stuart Copeland that I had to like crumble because, you know, I didn't know how he was gonna, gonna react. So I was, fortunately I was having lunch with a good friend of mine that used to work at A&M Records. Uh, he's, he's our producer, um, um, executive producer, and he was actually the guy in charge of A&M Latin in, in, in uh, A&M Records. So Jose Quintana says, oh, I know Stuart. I'm like, no, 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 don't bother him. He said, no, no, no. So I'm like freaking out. The, like, the perception is different because, you know, I've always thought that I've always heard. I, I just I have this visual of Stuart Copeland. I have that that early early uh, police bio that has his drum heads where he says, "I yeah. hate this cunt," right or yeah. something. Like, was, yeah. was a, Vic, do you have a picture of that right now that we yeah, can just put up? Fuck <laughs> just, off, you cunt! Yeah, fuck off, you cunt! And 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 yeah. that was that a little bit of an, a, a little dig to Sting, or you yeah. didn't know, right? Well, yeah, I guess I you, you, so, you, you kind of knew, but you didn't, you know. And yeah, so, no, and I, and I saw the fights that they, they. I was a huge police fan, believe me. I mean, when they broke up, that was like one of the saddest days in my life because they, they were a band that I admired and I looked up to so much, especially Stewart and what they did in such a short period of time. So. But I remember the fights, you know, I would have all the, the, the VHS. Uh, and then I remember when they did the synchronicity tour and there was like this brawl that Stuart Copeland <laughs> and, and Sting got in a fight, you know? And so I was like, you know, keep your distance. <laughs> that, that's, what happens, that's what happens when you don't have just a lead singer and a lead guitar player in a band. When you're a trio, you, I guess it's the drummer and, and the, you know, <laughs> and the, bass the bass player have to fight because there's no one else. <laughs> if, if anybody else, it's always the lead singer. Trust me. In Electric Angels, me and Shane had our, our, our moments our, of, uh, our yeah. Bouts. yeah. Yeah. We so, ended up so on the, the floor. So fortunately, my friend, he went and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lunch with a good friend of mine that he's a huge fan of yours. You know, can he swing by later and, and say hello? And Stuart said, of course. So what I did was when um, I knew the owner of the restaurant and I told him, hey, do me a favor. You see that table over there? Send me the bill when they finish having lunch. Oh, um, I'm going to pay cool. for it. That's class move, so, man. Class move. So, so when I'm looking because there was a mirror <laughs> so I could be seeing exactly what was going on. You know, like in, in the old days, you know, like the mafia, they were in the restaurant looking at the yeah. The big mirror, the who's coming in. Yeah. So I see that he gets up and he comes towards my table. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. So he comes up to me and he says, Hey, I just want to thank you for for you know paying for lunch. And I'm like, Stuart, you know, I just want to say, I know you've heard this a million times. Well, here it goes a million and one. You have no idea, you know, what a huge inspiration you are and have been to me and as a drummer. And I just want to thank you. And if it's possible, can I have an autograph? So he said, no worries, man. So he got an, um, a paper napkin. Sign the check. Signed the <laughs> yeah. So, so I was fortunate to meet him. I was fortunate to meet Alex Van Halen. Sweet guy, man. Uh, the same thing. Um, cool story. I met Charlie Watts um, a couple of years ago at a rehearsal space. The Stones were, were rehearsing. And uh, by way of an acquaintance, I was there hanging out with them. And... Um, and I was talking with Charlie about, you know, the drummers and obviously I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. Um, you know, Charlie's an amazing drummer, the history, they're still doing it at, at their age. 
So I'm behind this Gretsch kid and he tells me, hey, you know that stick bag? And I go, yeah. And he goes, that, that was Keith Moons. Oh, he wow. says, touch it, get the mojo. And like freaking out. I have photos of that. I'm going <laughs> to post that on my Instagram someday. You know what? I have a story about uh, Charlie Watts and um, I peed next to him. At a, yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I, and that's a true story. And I'm so glad that he didn't say the same thing to me. You know, touch it to get the mojo. I, I'm so, the he mojo. did not say that line, but I did actually, I, I've peed next to a few famous people in my in my time. I mean, obviously, Alice and I have peed next to each other before, but I mean, uh, it, Charlie Watts was one and and Hugh Hefner was the other. But, uh, but you, so I, I got that going for me, but you actually had a conversation with Charlie and, and you got to yeah. touch, you got to touch Keith Moon's stick bag. Stick bag, yeah, suede, suede, and 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 that was another talk about being starstruck. I mean, meeting the the Stones, hanging out with Ronnie, you know, Keith, sweet guys. I didn't get to talk to Mick because he split immediately after the rehearsal. Did you pee next to any of them? Did you pee next to any of them? None. No, no, no. I I think people really want to know right now. We've gotten to that point in the podcast. Who have you peed next to that's famous? Maybe I should hold new. I should have a whole new segment of the show called that. You know what? I really uh, believe it or not. I've always been very. Uh, uh, how can I say this? Um, I try to not to get into trouble, <laughs> so I always try to pee where I'm supposed to. All but, right. uh, yeah, no, fair I, enough. I, yeah, no, no, fair enough. I've had a lot of drinks. I've had a lot of drinks and clubs and, and backstage, and that's that's really cool. I mean, that's to me that's an awesome hang always when you can go to a show and hang backstage and just, you know, having some drinks and just, you know, having the conversation with all these amazing musicians and people. And I love that, that all, that whole backstage hang. I love that. Girls, girls, girls tour. I mean, I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but I peed next to Tommy Lee. At, at the, at the <laughs> I'm for- surprised he didn't pee you. At, at the Forum Club. <laughs> no, this was this was downstairs at the Forum Club. And I and I know that you know the, the uh, Los Angeles Forum. You've heard of that club, yes. right? Yeah. So yes. <laughs> it was during the Girls, Girls, Girls tour, or maybe it was a different uh, concert. And Tom- it. It was, no, no, no. Tommy, it wasn't even, it might have been like a White Snake sh- concert. And then Girls, Girls, Girls was later that year. But I know that Tommy Lee was there and, and this was before we had toured or anything like that. Years, years before this is like the eighties. And he just, I just remember him going, what's up, dude. And that was it. That's how we think <laughs> and it, we, we, exactly what you would expect, you know, that, but that's a character, but to segue, stay in the forum. Don't stay in the forum club, to, you know, bathroom, but let's stay into the forum, the Los Angeles forum. Mana, you guys with attendance records it, that you broke, you broke them all. You guys hold the record for the most consecutive sold out nights at the Los Angeles Forum. True or false? True. That's amazing. Dude, I, yeah. I mean, because 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 you, you talk Seven about nights. all the bands that have played consecutive nights there, whether it's Zeppelin, uh, mm-hmm. Prince. Um, I think the bands that you beat with that, uh, you got some sort of important phone call coming in. What's happening? Huh? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, always phone calls yeah. coming in. Yeah, they'll, they'll pick it up. No worries. All right. All right. But you guys are, you beat out the Eagles for consecutive yeah, nights. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you, you beat out, I mean, how did that, how does it feel to have such a strong base in the Los Angeles area? And not just, not just the LA Forum. You've done it mm-hmm. with the Staples Center as well. And over the, over uh, I know it wasn't consecutive nights, but how many times right. you sell out the Staples? 11, 11 sold outs, yeah, on uh, between three tours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, I think I think this is the important thing um, that 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 people well people that live in Los Angeles know it. I mean, LA is our base. Um, the whole rock and Espanol movement really kicked off in Los Angeles. Um, if you know, I mean, Los Angeles is a city I think with 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 a, the biggest population of Mexicans that lives there, and then it's Chicago. I mean, uh, and and even the United States. I mean, it's the the biggest minority right now. Um, and it's, you know, you got Latinos from all over the world and, you know, there's such an important workforce also for the, the, the economy of the United no States. Doubt. So, so our fan base, um, is something that we started to build little by little, you know, and it was just common sense. We say, look, why don't we try and see what happens in the United States, you know, and we just picked up the, the cities where Latinos live, you know, and, 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 and Latinos that speak English and Spanish like myself. So we went to Los Angeles. We sold out, you know, the, the first venue that we played there. Then we went to Houston. And then, you know, we went to Miami. We went to Chicago. And we were playing, you know, small small clubs. But then it really started to take off. Right. And then we were playing bigger venues. And then that's when the whole thing exploded. But the, the whole thing in L.A. is that, like I mentioned, that's our base. You know, that's where um, great spend spending a lot of time. Yeah where we recorded a, a lot of our records, uh, mixed a lot of our records, and it's the Mecca. It's the Mecca for me of the music business, you know, besides Nashville and, and New York, but for me, LA is LA. But a lot of people call it rock and Espanol, and you guys mm -hmm. seem to be the pioneers of that, but what do you yourself uh, put, where do you put your mana as far as a genre? Would you say it's rock? Would you say it's pop? Would you say it's progressive? Or would you say it's just amalgamation of everything? Well, I have to correct something there, Ryan. We're not the, the pioneers. We didn't invent the wheel. Remember, Carlos Santana was doing, you know, rock in Espanol way before all of us. You know, he was, you know, and in the Bay Area. I mean, come on, that's that's pretty cool, you know, to no do doubt. all this fusion of, of Latin music and singing Oye Como Va in the <laughs> 70s. That's you true. Know, that's pretty that's But they, pretty mixed, cool. they mixed it with some English, so English songs. Mana right. has, has always been Spanish, mm -hmm. yeah? Correct. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I mean, there's just so much history with rock and Espanol. I mean, it, it, so much stuff was happening in the 80s in Spain and Madrid. Madrid was like a melting pot of, you know, and it was incredible because you had all this influence from England and all this influence also from, from stuff that was happening in, in, in France and in Germany. And you had all these bands playing all these different types of genres, but singing in Spanish. So a lot of that influence from from... Um, from Rock and Español from Spain came to Mexico. And then you had Argentina, which was the same thing. It was like something something was going on at the same time. Argentina, Buenos Aires, the same thing. They were doing Rock and Español from the 60s, you know, singing in Spanish. A lot of bands in Mexico were playing Rock and Español, but they were doing cover songs. They were doing yeah. the same songs in, in English, but just singing them in Spanish. Then the whole thing started about bands doing their own material. So that's when, you know, so the thing is that we're not, the, we're not the pioneers. I mean, there's a lot of people before us. I think what happened with us is that we, first of all, stick to our guns. We, we, we said, you know what, we're going to do what we want to do. Even if the record label says, no, you got to be more commercial or you got to do this, or you got to do that. We said, screw that. We're going to do what we want to do. We produced our own records, which was very important. And still to this day. And we always worked very professionally. I think we would have, and we still have like more of a, a United States 
way of working and programming tours and, and the way we do our interviews and the way we're a very structured and organized band. And we always work that way. Our work ethics are, are very similar to either, you know, bands from England or bands from the, the United States. And you have to have a work ethic and you have to work and you have to tour and you have to do the same freaking interviews and answer the same freaking questions a thousand times. So it's not only about playing and it's, it's not only about touring. There's a lot of other stuff. Um, the relationship in our band, you know, we've been together for more than 30 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and we've had discussions and, you know, which direction to go musically, this or that. But there's always been so much respect, so much friendship, you know, and even if we would have a discussion, we would always try to find common ground. So there's all these things. I mean, there were great bands before us and unfortunately they broke up. Right. So I can say that we're part of the, the rock and Espanol uh, movement. Um, movement. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot well, of other bands. Well, also. I, you know what? I appreciate you taking the time out to hang with us in, uh, in the trenches. Because I know we're not so organized all the time. Sometimes we fly by the, by the seat of our pants. But, you know, Vic Chalfon, our producer, holds it together. And sometimes I, you know, I get to ask a question, one or one or two questions that sort of strike a nerve. And uh, it seems to sort of be controlled chaos, uh, to borrow from Nina I like Stuff. that. Controlled chaos. That's how I call them my solos. They're controlled chaos. <laughs> and it's what Nita Strauss calls her solo album. There you go. So there's really? a little plug for Nita. A little plug for Nita. Always a little plug nice. for Nita. But let's talk about how all those countries of the rock and espanol, um, not the 60s, not the 70s, we're talking about present day. You yeah. now form a super group of sorts from a bunch of different South American countries because you met you mentioned Argentina, you mentioned Brazil, you mentioned yeah. Mexico. Uh, I, I want to hear about how De La Tierra came about and how you balance that out with Mana. So, okay, well, the 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 the, the short story is I've known. Um, Andres Jimenez, he's the guitar player for a very, very famous band Sepultura. from Argentina called Animal. Oh. No, this is an, an Andres Jimenez. Okay, sorry. That's sorry. how I'm, yeah, so he, he has a very, very famous uh, uh, metal band from Argentina called Animal. And we were on the same label on Warner Brothers. So we would always bump into each other many, many years ago. And, you know, we would always say, hey, you know, someday we got to get together and jam. Because he always knew that besides, you know, Mana being a pop rock band that does you know, fusions from different types of music from Latin America. He also knew that I had, you know, my, my hard rock, heavy metal side that I've always loved and, and still do to this day. So long story short, uh, he says, hey, someday we got to get together and, 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 and play. So around 2013, Mana took like a year off and I called him and I said, hey, you know, remember when you told me about let's do something? Uh, let's, let's do a band, but let's do like a, a real band and let's call friends that would love to play, you know, and just do something together. So <clears throat> our first bass player was Flavio from the Fabulosos Cadillacs. Um, so we called him and he says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll join and, and I'll be part of this, you know, relationship of musicians getting together to, to start a band. And so when Andres says, you know what, we just need a killer guitar player. And I know who's the perfect guy, but I don't think he's going to accept. And I told him, well, who is it? And he says, Andres Kisser from Sepultura. And I go, dude, that guy's my super friend, man. No worries, man. So I sent him an email. It's like, hey, you know, Andreas, what's up, man? This is Alex. Hey, you know what? We're starting this project. Um, we would love for you to be, you know, the, 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 the guitar player in the band. So let me know. So 
Andres, he says, you know, it's not going to happen. And I said, well, let's wait and see. He emailed me 24 hours after and he says, don't call anybody. I'm your guy. So I'm like, holy shit, we got Andres Kisser, you know, one of the best guitar players in, in metal out there. No doubt. So we started our first record um, with Warner Brothers that came out. It's just called De La Tierra. Um, and then in 2016, we left Warner Brothers and we signed with Sony and we did our second record, um, which is called De La Tierra 2. Yeah, yeah. And that record was produced by Ross Robinson. And actually that record got nominated for a Grammy, which nice. is the first time nice. that I know at least that a Latin metal band is nominated for a Grammy for, for a record. So right now we're in the process of recording our third record. We were supposed to start the record this year, but as you know, COVID came and, and it, everything just stopped. But what we did was we, we did a new single that's actually going to be released this Friday. Wow. And okay. We, Something yeah, to hype up. Here we go. Exclusive. Yeah. And, and, yeah and, and the cool thing about this is that, you know, like all musicians, we still need to play. We still need to create. So we all went into our home studio and we did this amazing song that I think fits perfectly for the times and what's going on right now. So that's going to be released in um, uh, this Friday, the, the single and the video. And, um, and then the idea is for us to start working on a new album in February. We already have like about 15 songs. That is that, we is that with your new bass player, Harold Hopkins? Is, that, is he going to be yes. on it as well? He came in um, in 2017. Gotcha. And Harold, he's from Puerto Rico. And he's an amazing, amazing bass player. And he's from a, a, a very, very awesome band from, from Puerto Rico called Puya. And the great thing about Puya is that they, they, they do fusion of metal, but with, with salsa and with music from, from the island. And it's, it's awesome. And they sing in Spanish and they sing in English. So Harold, you know, talk about coming full circle. International Latin super group. Brazil, Argentina, yeah. Mexico, you know. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah, and the new album, when it comes out, the stuff, because Harold is bringing a lot of also Latin influence, your Caribbean influence, it's so heavy, but at the same time, you'll see. I love the fact that you're so passionate about it. And I love the fact that everybody that's in the uh, chat right now, everybody that uh, listener, regular listeners to In the Trenches, they will support it. So when you do actually release that, uh, send me the links and I'll put them up on my site as well. Because like you said, um, you. you know, this is that time of the show where uh, we're going to take a small little commercial break, right? Go so because uh, because the thing is, like you said, we all musicians, we have to create. We, 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 we all want to play. Uh, but we all have to make some money once in a while too, don't we there, Vic? And so uh, we have our little, <laughs> we have a whole nother uh, sort of segment and a whole nother kind of a secret sauce episode that we're putting up together with In the Trenches. We're going to put it out there and we made a little a commercial for it. So it's going to take up about maybe a minute of your time, folks. We're going to take a little quick break of this, watch the commercial and uh, you know what? Uh, we'll come back with Let the People Speak. Vic, hit it, my friend. Hello, Tessia, the intro voice of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy, and we really hope you're enjoying the podcast. In each of our almost 50 episodes so far, we have brought you many full-length insider interviews with today's hardest-working rock musicians and entertainers. Now, we are ready to take In the Trenches to the next level, and we want you involved. We are planning a number of once-in-a-lifetime episode specials, interviewing some of the major names in rock and roll and we want you to be in the show here is how it works 
In each special episode, we have a maximum of three on-stage passes available. You will be invited into our virtual studio and be able to ask our special guest your own question face-to-face. Your on-screen experience with the guest will be immortalized and broadcast for the world to see. Take a look at the names of our next special guests and recording times and get your VIP on-stage pass now. But there's even more good news. We are also inviting exactly four lucky souls to a private after-show fireside chat with Ryan and our special guest of the week. By securing your backstage pass now, you will hang out for 20 minutes after the show and make lifelong memories. So, Ryan Roxy, who are the special guests for the upcoming In the Trenches specials? And there you go. Never get tired of watching that commercial there. Our up-and-coming guests are Joe Satriani and also, um, well, let's just concentrate on Mr. Joe Satriani right now because, uh, well, okay, it's right on the site. Thank you very much for putting that out. That is Desmond Child as well. So those are the dates. Just go on to ryanroxy.com and hit the uh, Secret Sauce episodes. Okay, that's ryanroxy.com slash Secret Sauce. So too bad we didn't record that maybe a week uh, later because then you would have been on it there, Mr. Alex Gonzalez. All good, because- <laughs> all good. I'll be back. We've got drummer, we've got the drummer of Mana and De La Tierra hanging out with us in the trenches. It's uh, Mr. Alex Gonzalez, and we are talking so much Latin rock today. I'm uh, I'm excited because I'm getting educated as well. And um, of course, the rock and espanol. I I, I spoke a little too. Uh, too soon when I called you guys pioneers. You are part of the movement. The, 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 the movement has been going on since the 60s, and you corrected me on that, which you are definitely right. But guess what? Now it's time for us to correct some other people because they have sent their questions into you. And uh, Ooh, throughout the I week, we put it out there, and we call this segment, Let the People Speak. Vic? Good. I love the sheep. So here we go. So now our first question, I think hopefully Vic got it. I I sent it in to him late. It was one of the last questions that came in, um, but I thought it was pretty important. It was from Anmana Venezuela, because obviously a Mana fan from Venezuela. Uh, When will Mana release another live album? Okay. um, This is um, a a lot of questions that I get uh, from, from a lot of fans all over the world. Right now, we're working on a new project that's going to come out uh, probably beginning mid of next year. Uh, There's also plans of doing a new studio album, and there's also plans of doing a live album. That's probably going to be um, with a live DVD. Um, We're still working on on the details, but, you know, Mana, obviously, um, we're still working, we're still doing things, um, and we still have you know, a lot of things to, to do as far as, you know, writing music, as far as touring, um, you know, um, as far as like, for example, with Venezuela uh, and Latin America, you know, we have plans of, of touring. Um, I don't know with the situation, unfortunately, going on in Venezuela, if we'll be able to, to go there and play again soon. You know, we wish the best for that country because uh, we've been playing there since when we started. But unfortunately, with all the stuff that's going on, uh, we haven't been back since 2011, so wow. I wish the best for that country, uh, for the Venezuelan people, yeah. and hopefully Mana can can go back and play there sometime. And, uh, and and you know the important thing is to follow our social media. You know www.mana.com.mx, and um, we're always posting stuff that's going on. You know, 
And that's the great thing about having your social media is that, you know, you're always saying what's really happening. You know, you have to be very careful these days. There's so much um, fake news. There's so much crazy stuff that people <laughs> write or invent. So I always say go to the source, always a direct source and find out what's really going on. We're going to get your socials in just a little bit, but we're going to continue with this. And that's the thing about uh, let the people speak because the subjects go from one end to the spectrum to the other. Because our next question is up right now. It's from at official uh, TVIS. Uh, tell us about that red sparkle drum kit you received from your kindergarten teacher when you were five. Obviously a story that you might have told before, but you had a red sparkle drum kit, not from Mike Visano. That kind of shocks me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, you can find photos of that kit uh, on my Instagram. Um, the thing that, is that, is that when, the kit right there? Is that it? No, that's, good one, that's, <laughs> that's my last kit from the last tour that we did that we were doing. Actually, um, that's the kit that we did the seven sold out shows at the forum oh my God. and the tour that we did uh, throughout the United States in 2019. We were on tour like for three months. Imagine, imagine if you could do the forum with that red sparkle drum kit you got when you were five. I'm going to tell you what, what I've been doing. Um, that red sparkle kit, like I mentioned, was given to me as a gift from my kindergarten teacher because she went one, one afternoon to my house and my parents didn't have money to buy me a drum set. So I would go with my mom to the supermarket and I would bring back in her car cardboard boxes where they would pack vegetables and fruits. So I would put like the big box, cardboard box for the kick drum and I would put like the smaller cardboard boxes like for the snare and the tops. And I had like these kid drumsticks that I was, that, that I was using. So when she saw me in my room, she was like, hey, Alex, I have a drum set that my dad gave me that I never used, so I want to give it to you as a gift. So that's the first drum set that I actually you know, got, and uh, that's where everything started. And I'm actually, right now, I'm hunting. I'm hunting for that drum set. I've, I've, now that I've had time, <laughs> I've been going all over the place in old vintage drum shops. You want to put that and kit back together. That kit, I actually found out it was sold in a Sears and Roebuck catalog in the late 60s. Okay. I found out what company, everything. So right now, I, it's going to be difficult to, to get the original one that I had, yeah. but I'm... I'm I'm, um, you know, that's kind of what I did with my, uh, with my Stratocaster. I have the first guitar I ever had was, it was a Strat and, and I had the guys at Palermo make me, I call it the never say never Strat. So I, I had them made me a Stratocaster that was as close to what I remember it, uh, the Strat being, but they put a, uh, humbucker in the back just so I could nice. play it with, with, uh, play it with Alice in the, in the show. But yeah, I, I get that. You always want to go back to that yeah. first instrument that inspired you so much. And if you can recreate it in some way, and at least you you're know doing... What's the cool, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, 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 sorry to interrupt you. The cool thing that I'm doing right now is, well, not right now, but I've been fortunate enough to have all my drum sets. Actually, my first professional drum set that my mom bought in Miami was a Tama Swing Star. Black Tamman Swing Star because I wanted it black like Stuart Copeland. Yeah, yeah. Stuart Copeland was using a Tamman Imperial Star and it was too expensive for my mom to buy. So she bought me the Tamman Swing Star. That was the drum that was attained in customs that was sent back. Uh -huh. I had that drum set. I had that drum set sent back to Mexico and I used that set, that drum set with Sombrero Verde and Mana. But when things were really, really bad that we had no work and stuff, I sold that drum set because I needed money. And the good story is I recouped that drum set to the person that I had sold. So I already have you that bought drum it back. Set. Okay. I, no, he gave it to me. I wanted it to buy him back. And he said, no, I want to give it to you back. Wow. 
So now I have that. So I'll only need the red sparkle kit to have basically all my drums. You get your drums back. All right, cool, man. <laughs> well, let's move on a little bit to let the people speak. And uh, yeah. we are going to talk to uh, at Ogalindo90. And I want, what's okay. the status on Manaz album collaborations with Pepe Aguilar Gilberto Sr., I guess it would be? Um, I, I don't know anything about that. You know, Pepe Aguilar, he's a very good friend of ours. He actually sang um, um, when we got the Person of the Year Award at the Latin Grammys. Um, he's uh, a dear friend, uh, but there's nothing right now that we, that at least I know that we're going to be doing with, with Pepe Aguilar. Is that uh, But like I say, um, he's a great friend, but no, there's, there's nothing about a collaboration right now, okay. as far as I know. Hey, look, man, that's where we sort out the fake news and the non-fake news. We get it from the right. people. We let the people speak, and we answer the truth here. We get only facts, folks, on In the Trenches. At Andy Pacheco Music, or at Andy Pacheco. Oh, man, sorry, Andy. I am just completely butchered the, your handle. That's a great there. question. Um, what was your favorite memory of playing touring in Bolivia? Great story. Uh, when we played uh, La Paz, Bolivia, which La Paz is very, very, very high, you know, people actually sometimes can't even finish a show because of the lack of oxygen. Oh, so, so we had to like, you know, try to, to totally uh, climate ourselves in, in, in as far as, you know, being able to play uh, in La Paz. So when we arrived to do sound check, you have to remember this is 1993. There were no professional um, audio or lighting companies in those days. So they had to bring in equipment from other countries they were they were constructing the, the 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 speakers and the baffles. We played the oh wow I, we've never had the PA constructed, but we've definitely played gigs where the ground uh, for the whole entire concert, the grounding wire for the whole entire concert was basically just a metal key in the ground, like you know. <laughs> so that, that was the first time but, we ever but, played. Uh, what was it? Uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. You're talking Bolivia. Right. We're talking Bulgaria. Same Bulgaria. sort of problems. Same sort of wow. problems. <laughs> but the fantastic thing was that everybody was so excited to have Mana in, in La Paz, Bolivia. And everybody was working together, the crews and everything. It was an open outdoor um, um, venue. Um, and I remember it, just the people in Bolivia are so awesome. And... Uh, just only good memories in that country. I mean, to be honest, there's not any bad memories from any country in Latin America or Spain or, or even in Europe of other countries who play the United States. I mean, I think Mana has been very fortunate that we have such an amazing fan base. There's a new generation of kids that are growing up now with that, you know, their parents or, or their brothers and sisters were, 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 are or were fans of Mana when, when they were kids. So, you know, we're like a third generation right now. So I get, the, just, I mean, I get the same. We, we get the same sort of stuff with Alice Cooper gen, generation because it is a generational thing. And it's really cool to see that happening. And we've always had that good luck with uh, uh, or at least I've had the good luck of playing with artists. I, re I still remember going down to Argentina and Chile uh, playing with Gilby Clark and opening wow. up with, you know, opening up for Aerosmith. And then Very cool. just just incredibly passionate. Just passionate yeah. crowds, and I can just imagine how much passion there is for Mana and as well as De La Tierra. Um, but let's move on to a, a question by at Vivi underscore the guitarist. Uh, how is it that you managed to always pump up the crowd with your amazing stage presence? Because you were talking about that energy that perhaps maybe is influenced a little bit by Keith Moon, but you make it your own. Uh, how do you get that amazing stage presence, and how do you pump yourself up? 
Well, I think the important thing, like I was telling Vic at the beginning of the interview is that, you know, we know how hard it is for people to, to, to work and to make money, to buy a ticket. You know, they, 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 they're waiting so anxiously to see you. So I think it's so important that as a band and, and as a musician, that every time that you get on stage, you give a hundred percent, no matter if you're feeling sick, if you're tired, um, if you didn't sleep well, you know, that's not the fans fault. It's not the crowd's fault. You know, you're there to entertain, you're there to give everything that you got, you know, and, um, you know, I think the, the interesting thing here is that, you know, it's a challenge now uh, because I'm 51. I turned 51 years old this year. Kid, and, you're um, a kid. And, and <laughs> yeah, but, you know, here's the thing, you know, when I still see like the Rolling Stones and I see Aerosmith and I see you too, um, you know, God bless David Bowie, you know, all these people that I saw and I still see at their age and that they're taking good care of themselves and, and they eat well, like for example, I've never done drugs in my life. You know, I've always stayed away from that because a lot of my idols died. So I was always very afraid of, you know, not even smoking pot, you know, which is like the least worst of the drugs, you know, but, you know, drinking the same thing, you know, I like to drink and, you know, Guadalajara tequila, come on, you know, but we're going to talk thing, about you know? that. We're going to talk about that because you have your own tequila. And, yeah, that's right. And, that's right. And, and honestly, I do want to I wanted to get a special guest on and, and maybe invite him on to talk a little bit about that. But um, I just have I have one more question before mm -hmm. we break into that, because it's from the people. And this is at when you were made. There's just a request, I think. I don't even know if it's a question. But can I play Mi Valet with you guys when Mana comes back to L.A.? And, you know. You can you can say yes or no, but yeah, yeah. this is uh, this is something that I'm going to tell you that you probably don't know. Uh, we've been doing for the past three tours. Um, we do a contest where we invite a guitar player, somebody a local musician, nobody famous, nothing. You know, just a regular kid or a girl. So you were doing that, you were doing ki uh, Foo Fighters Kiss guy way before that. You know, oh, you yeah. Say, yeah, yeah. You've seen that video yeah, yeah, where yeah, he brings yeah. up the kid. That, that's awesome. But I mean, that's, I mean, like I say, we didn't invent the wheel. You know, we, we've seen other musicians do this before. Right. And, but I think it's just a, a great way of supporting local musicians. And, you know, so, you know, of course, if this guy can play the guitar and he knows the song and, you know, he, <laughs> he auditions and he gets it. I mean, come on. So you, you do that every show on the tour? Yeah, we've been doing that for the past uh, like six, seven years. So, and it's fun and it's fun because it's a very, it's a very popular song. Uh, it's a song that I wrote uh, that I sing during the show. It's a very ska punkish type of song. And it has a part where, you know, we improvise and we let the guy do his solo with, with Sergio guitar, or Sergio, our guitar player, and they start trading licks mm -hmm. and, you know, can you imagine what an amazing experience for a kid <laughs> that maybe, you know, plays in, in, in a club, or, no or with his friends to be in the forum or, yeah. or in yeah. Madison Square Garden doing that. That's pretty cool. Well, think, thinking about uh, singing and, and uh, singing live, do you enjoy the songs that you get to sing live? And how many do you get to actually do when you're on tour? Are you a Ringo or are you more of a Phil Collins? So obviously not Phil Collins because you have a lead singer in the band, but how many do they give you? Do they, do they throw you a bone every once in a while or do you, do you even enjoy it? 
Yeah, well, here's the thing, you know, I've, I've written, uh, um, a well, not lyrically, but musically, I've written a lot of songs with Fag, with the, the, the lead singer. He's the main, main uh, singer, songwriter, but I've done some songs uh, in the past where I sing, and there's songs that I've written about, stuff that I think or, or, or are passionate about or that I want to express. Um, but singing and playing drums is very hard. Um, um, so, you know, I enjoy it, you know, before, uh, and many, many tours before I would sing maybe two songs, um, plus the solo. Uh, and now on, on these, um, recent tours, I'm only singing one song, uh, plus the solo. The thing is that we have so many songs, uh, and we've had so many hits, fortunately, that it's very hard to put all these songs into a two, two hour, two and 22, we've almost played two and a half hours. But normally our shows are like two hours, 20 minutes. So, you know, we would have to do like a Bruce Springsteen, you know, playing three, three and a half hours. You're big enough to do it, though, man. You're definitely yeah, big enough hard. to do it. It's hard, especially it's hard on the vocalist, you know, yeah, because. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy singing, but I, I enjoy more playing drums, man. And, and that's something that, like I say, it's it's something that's in my blood. And I just love just doing what I can. And, and, and I always want people to leave happy. Yeah. I want people to say, man, it was worth it. It was worth waiting. You know, I'm so glad I went. The show kicked ass and I want to go see them again. But that's the one thing your friend and my friend, Mike Fasano said about you. He said the whole band has good energy and you treat everybody from, you know, it doesn't matter from the top of the record company down to the, you know, to the guy that's, that's driving your, you guys from the hotel to the venue with the same amount of respect. And it's always about that respect level. That's where I think people always will leave with a good feeling of seeing you because they know that it's good, positive energy. And, yeah. you know, Fasano, if you're around, buddy, just uh, drop on in and say hello because we're going to start talking a little bit about to the tequila because I know... Um, <laughs> there he is. That's right. We had a jam song. We never That's released it. We never released it. But uh, that's Porno Mag. I, I have the CD. I appreciate that. We did. We did release a bunch of songs on on DPM, but uh, we never released that exact song. But tell us how you're able to not just the two bands, Mana. You got the, the, the La Tierra, but then you have your own tequila brand. And yeah. are, are, have you always been passionate about uh, the tequila and how did that all come about, that whole business venture? Well, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, it, like alcohol and, and rock and roll has always been like a perfect marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, or podcasts, I, you know, <laughs> alcohol and podcasts don't do it so bad either. <laughs> you know, I, I remember I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know what a Jack Daniels was because I remember seeing, you know, uh, you know, Robert Plant and, and Keith Richards and, you know, all these rock and rollers with always with a bottle of, you know, Jack. So, I mean, it's, it's especially in Mexico, you know, um, and in Guadalajara, tequila is, is, you know, something that everybody drinks. Um, so, and I've always enjoyed it. So when I saw that there was going to be an opportunity uh, to do something, um, I had like a window I'm always trying to be creative. You know, if I believe me, I think if I was living in Los Angeles, 
besides playing in Mana and, and besides playing with De La Tierra, I'd probably have like another three or four bands and I'd be playing in studios. And <laughs> we'd I'd be, be in a band together. We'd be in a band. We'd be jammed for sure. So, I mean, I always like to be creative and I always like to be doing things. Here we go. So I'd say to myself, well, what could I do that could, can, I could share the culture from, from where I'm from and, and where the band is from, Mana, Guadalajara, Mexico. And, um, and, and basically share, you know, um, something that I really enjoy. So I started putting together um, my own tequila brand. I started in 2014. It was a two year process of legal work, paperwork, uh, registering the name, just trying different, you know, distilleries and everything until I did my own blend. And I said, this is where I know now, this is what represents me and this is what I want to share. Um, it's 100% organic there's no chemicals artificial flavors it's kosher um it's in uh, produced in in los altos um in lo que es arandas um, in jalisco which has the fame of being like one of the best places uh, for tequila i mean all jalisco makes amazing tequila but uh, arandas has the fame of, of, of being one of the, the the best places to make tequila so uh the name is mala vida which translated means bad, the bad life. life yeah but Actually, in Mexico, there's certain words that, that have a double meaning. So actually, when, when things are going really good or you're enjoying yourself or whatever, they say, you know, what a bad life, que mala vida. But it's actually saying it's the good life. Okay. So it's, it's, it's what, actually What do something. they say when, they, when you are living the vida loca? Yeah, that's, it's, yeah, that's the crazy life, you know. So, so, so finally, I just want to dance now. <laughs> so the cool thing is that we started selling uh, in 2016. We're, we're in Spain. We're in California. We're in New York, New Jersey. We just recently started in Chicago. We're in Texas and obviously in, in Guadalajara. So, and you can get our, um, our tequila online if you want to buy it. Uh, because, you know, like I say, I just started recently. And like I say, I'm not here to compete with anybody. On the contrary, I'm here to share and to be part of all these amazing tequila makers well, and we, brands. So when we played the, when we played Mexico, there was a uh, there, there's a difference between tequila and is agave. Mezcal. Me, mezcal. No. I'm sorry, you said mezcal. Yeah, yeah, so they're yeah, both yes. they're made from the, they're both made from the agave plant, mm -hmm. but mezcal and tequila. So if you ever do, and I'm giving this to you right now, if you mm -hmm. ever do come up with a mezcal. I mm -hmm. want, I, I, I'm just putting the name out there because I don't think it's taken. I don't think it has used any association with you, but it's called, I would call your mezcal El Animal. <laughs> huh? El Animal I Mezcal. I think there's already something like that. That's one of the hardest things is that there's so many names. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of names that are registered. Ah, shit. So and, that was going to be my question is how yeah. did you get the name El Animal? Because, you know, obviously the animal, you're, you're, yeah. is, it has something to do with your stage presence. And, you know, it doesn't have to be mezcal tequila. Forget yeah. it. All right. That's all done. <laughs> yeah. The thing is that the, this nickname um, was given to me by Fab, the lead singer, many, many years ago. I mean, when I just started, I mean, I, I was always doing drum solos. Uh, since I entered the band, since I was 15 years old. And I always found drum solos, you know, just just a, a fun moment to enjoy yourself with the audience and, and just to, to, to express yourself as, as a drummer. So every time I would finish, you know, the solo or, or he would present me and says, you know, this guy's an animal on the drums, you know, you know, give it up for Alex, you know. So this just went something on and on and on and on. And, and, and you know, 
Um, and I love it that in a lot of shows, you know, a lot of fans give me the animal from the Muppets, you know, um, I love it. Um, dolls and stuff. And, yeah. you know, I grew up, you know, watching the Muppets and, and I remember seeing Buddy Rich doing a, 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 a drum competition with animal and, and, you know, he was such an amazing character, but if you think about it, the original animal is Keith Moon. I mean, come on. I mean, that's <laughs> and that's where that whole thing started. But it's funny. I mean, and, and, and I enjoy it a lot, you know, and it's just, just that energy. I think that, that people can relate to that. I just, so fair, just, gave, um, so fair gave you the name because I'm glad we're dispelling a lot of uh, fake news out there because mm-hmm. the person who I had always thought and who told me that they gave you the name El Animal and I, you know, he told it to me for years and years and I, I just want to call him out on it. Um, well, why did you lie to me all those years, my friend? It was actually the singer. Uh, hey, let me, would, let me get under Mike here now, call. Vic. This is good. All right. Yeah. Hey. Mike, what's up, dude? Ladies and gentlemen, How it's Mike you? Fizzano. He is our special secret sauce member. There it is. Special. Hey, hey. Mike, turn your phone sideways. Turn, it's, I'm just saying it so Vic won't have Good to. Way. There you hey, go, friend. This is a great story. Check this out. Okay. Check this out, Ryan. I've known Mike since 1990 or 91 when he was working at Valley Arts Guitars. Oh, yeah. And he got me turned on to Vic for drumsticks. He got me turned on to DW Hardware. Well, long story short, when we started working together, you know, he didn't know anything about Spanish. So, you know, we little by little. He knows Taco Bell. We both know Taco (laughs) Bell from. uh, (laughs) But here's the funny thing. So for some reason, you know, my my color, my favorite color is black, as you can tell. So he would always see me and says, hey, you should call yourself El Negro Animal. Ah. That's that's how he calls me. He calls me Ah. El Negro Animal. But here's the funny thing. So I'm teaching him all these Spanish words and you know one word that I use a lot is un abrazo which means you know a hug you know every time I, I see a friend or I write I say hey un abrazo so when Mike started saying it in Spanish he would say un brazo and he would write me emails and he would write un brazo so he was actually saying you know one arm <laughs> what's up Mike Good to see How you. How are you? But at least I could tune your drums properly. Oh, uh, this guy's a killer. Man. I thought it was just a tribute to Rick Allen. That was what I thought it was. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you go there? Never forget. <laughs> well, you or Negro Rick Allen. <laughs> You're going everywhere. You're going but deep. The, again, one of my first uh, Spanish words, black, negro. Yeah. You know? And then one of my second things, una paloma blanca. <laughs> and I think. Uh, un I think you're third. Una I think. Pluma. Yeah. I know one of them that Mike used to always say to me was I poppy. I don't know what that means, but. Uh. <laughs> it's like, hey, daddy. <laughs> Why did you say that to me, Mike? That's wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Maybe it was the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that Alex doesn't know what drugs That Alex yeah. never did. That's what. That's, you know why Alex never did exactly. drugs? Alex never did drugs because you, me, and you, Mike, did, 
did all of them. <laughs> there wasn't any left. That's the problem. The, the, the 90s, there was none left. But hey, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get Mike to say a quick hello. By the way, Mike Fasano, uh, if you want to hear the story of Valley Arts and the whole story of Mike Fasano, you can tune into a past episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy because uh, Mike was a guest just uh, a few weeks ago. But now, a reoccurring secret sauce personality that comes on because he helped uh, book this uh, gig today with Alex Gonzalez. Thank you, bud. And I don't want to have my own show like everybody thinks, oh, you got to do your own show, interview all your drummer friends, blah, blah, blah. I want to do it. Everybody's doing it. I'll pop on once in a while. Well, <laughs> when I do do when I do do my own show, hanging with the sack, you'll be my first guest. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Hey man, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, good Mike. Good to see you too. I have a hey, prop hey, for hanging with the sack. Just so you know, I have a prop. Yeah, that's a that's a great <laughs> reference. <laughs> at my at my age now, I can probably cover that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, than a coke can. I love it. <laughs> hey. uh I'm just good to see you. It's great to hear hear somebody story. The Stuart Copeland, the Stuart Copeland story. I never heard, uh, but I love it. But I had the same sort of thing when I judged a uh, Guitar Center drum off years ago at the House of Blues. He sat right next to me. It's 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 10:30 in the morning and we're getting ready to start. I was so I didn't even know what to say. I had to have about three Jack and Cokes just to fucking settle down for the next uh, four hours of drummers. And I couldn't say anything to him, so I never even said anything to him. I think I tried to, but I, I was just like, it was dumb. Anyways. Wow. Yeah, no, Heroes have that effect on you. True heroes. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's so awesome when, when you do meet them, you meet your heroes, and they're so down to earth, you know, like with Alex Van Halen or with Charlie Watts or with Stewart or with other drummers that I've met. You know, it's, it's, I can count on this hand drummers that have been, but I'm not going to go yeah. there. But the majority, yeah. awesome people. Yeah. But I think it would be really yeah. cool if you could bring all those Grammys with you and MTV Awards anytime you met any of your idols, because they'd pipe down real quick the minute they saw, like, oh, hi, how, oh, these things, all these awards. Yeah. You know what's so funny about this guy is it's not about, it's nothing about that. If you'll share all. that with you, if you don't know about the band. One of the greatest things I remember, we were working on a record and uh, was when you guys were starting your tour in San Diego uh, mm -hmm. in 2000, whatever it was. And I remember we went out to an Italian restaurant and that's a shocker, were, like people there and, and like local yokel people. And somebody from the back, one of the, the dishwashers saw that he was there. Alex realized that went back into the kitchen, said hi to all the Latin American staff. And uh, it was the, it was the, it was like the craziest thing to see. I mean I've had many meals with Matt Sorum and we've all been with rock stars. This is the most this unassuming rock star, but it means the most to the people that work hardest, which is which is the guys in the kitchens or or whatever. And it was just the coolest thing I thought. Besides being a great guy and a great drummer, I'll never forget that impact that he had. Bigger than any any star I've ever been around. But, uh, thanks, and can you believe this, Alex? He doesn't want his own show. That's I call bullshit right there. That just sounded like a <laughs> damn. I, that sounded like a damn commercial for the damn show. That's your trailer right there, <laughs> featuring Mike Visano. <laughs> you would have an amazing show with all the people that you know, all the drummers, all the stories. That'd be incredible. Yeah, uh, a huge question coming in from the chat. Uh, did you ever you pee? pee with yeah. Mike? <laughs> did you pee next to anyone famous before besides me? 
Oh, God. I, you know what, though? I think the step over me when we were in Miami working on one of the records when I was puking my guts out in the bathroom because uh, I ate a bad breakfast. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. That, but remember in Argentina and Buenos Aires when we were working down there? That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And let me tell you, this guy gets you gets you in the studio and you don't do an eight hour day you don't do a 10 hour day you don't do a 12 hour day you're pushing 14 16 hours but i'll tell you one thing he does do is he fuels you with cortadito coffees which is a cuban style coffee that you were drinking it right before the show okay all right cool man Um, but anyways working with these guys and this guy i call family and i call a friend and i don't call many people that but um, he's done so much for my family, uh, and just for just for me as a friend, he introduced me to Andrew Gretsch, and that's why I'm playing Gretsch is because of that guy right there. There you go. And um, anyways, he's just he's the best guy. I'm, I'm glad you came on the show. You just missed uh, the whole humble brag thing that I did. I I, I said, did you ever pee anyone fame to next to anyone famous besides me? Nobody even called me out on that fucking humble brag. I'm sorry, folks. I really apologize for that. Vic's looking at me like, why? Well, how could you do that? You have like, you know, one of the biggest drummers of of all rock and espanol, and ah. and you have Mike Fizzano. Who do you think you are? But uh, Mike, thank you so much for dropping by and saying hello to uh, Mr. Yeah. Alex, and and you know, sort of putting a plug in for your own new show. Um, I'm sure we'll see you soon enough as you're our reoccurring guest on in the trenches right hey, and, and since you're there mike uh, be prepared because the call is going to come in probably at the beginning of next year for the new de la tierra okay. record so all right, all right. here we go miami hey, here we hey, go miami i'm not gonna be i promise you i won't be on tour <laughs> neither will i damn it <laughs> we gotta change that we gotta let's change get, that let's get that manar record in too while we're at it there's there's more stuff going on. I'll, I'll little by little, little by little. Right. Dude, love Thanks you. It's great to see you. Let Say hello to your mom, your wife, everybody. Uh, one arm, dude. One arm, dude. Just one. Rick Allen. Never forget. All right. So, fucking dude. He's, I love that guy, man. There He's he so is, awesome. Mike Fasano. So, folks, uh, we are going to uh, wind things down. But before we wind things down, of course, you've been amazing in the chat all all day. You've put up with our commercials of uh, Secret Sauce, which we really hope you go and check out. If you want to go check out the new uh, Upper Echelon episodes of In the Trenches, that's happening very, very soon. Joe Satriani will be our next guest. But you know what? None of that matters. We've had El Animal on uh, today. We've had Alex Gonzalez here. And, of course, you guys want to uh, get in touch with him. So, for those... that are listening uh, on the old Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and all those types of podcasts uh, where it's just audio. Alex, can you say your social media so people can uh, come out and check you out? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, what I use the most is Instagram. So, yeah, uh, it's Alex Gonzalez El Animal at Instagram. And also, uh, that's linked to the Twitter account. So, the Twitter account is Alex El Animal. So, um, yeah, you know. It's kind of hard to, to answer a lot of questions, but I try my best. Um, and I just want to thank everybody or, or you know, whoever's listening um, in this great program. Just want to thank you guys for, for all the love and support uh, with Mana and with De La Tierra. Um, you know, thanks for uh, just being there for us and, and, and all the positive energy that you guys always give out to us. So thank you again. Please be safe. Hopefully um, this whole COVID thing will get over sooner or later. And the whole music industry can, can start again. 
uh, because it's millions and millions of people that work in the, the music industry, not just the musicians, but truck drivers, the merchandise people, the, the backline guys, you know, right. the crew, lighting, everybody, millions of families. So hopefully next year we'll be able to tour again, play again, see each other again, and um, just get things back to normal like they always were. Alex, it's been a pleasure having you on. Definitely one of the most humble guests that we've ever had on In the Trenches. I'd love to have you back sometime and we can talk Anytime. about... Anytime. We can talk Anytime. more about De La Tierra. We can talk about, you know, I can work on my accent a little bit. You wouldn't even know that I'm half Mexican. You wouldn't even know it from my very <laughs> bad pronunciation of El Animal and Abierto and this and that. But we've had Alex Gonzalez on uh, from Mana as well as uh, De La Tierra. And Thank you, my friend. Uh, what can I say, man? Until next time, folks, uh, go check out Alex. Keep on supporting the podcast. Uh, we'll see you next Tuesday, as we always do. But uh, Vic Chalfont, you've done another great job. Uh, thank thank you, you, you very much. Uh, you want to come up and say goodbye for everybody? Come on. You know you do. No, he doesn't. He's shaking his head no. But again, <laughs> behind the board, he's been doing great. And of thank course, you. that special uh, appearance by Mike Fizzano. But Alex Gonzalez... Thank you as always. And uh, thank you, my friend. And we got to jam someday. We got to jam someday. It's on tape, so it's definitely going to happen. It's definitely going to happen at one point. But until next time, folks, on the trenches, I'm Ryan Roxy. Enjoy the ride. See ya. In the trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello.